All right. Today, I sat down with Madison Swan out of Denver, Colorado with Empowered Birth Collective. Now, Madison is a doula, but she didn't become a doula until after she gave birth in what she considers to be a very traumatic pregnancy and birth with her first child. This is after Madison and her husband, Nick, had suffered a miscarriage. So trigger warning, we think it's really important on the Birth Story podcast to talk about loss and miscarriage and some tips and tricks to going through a miscarriage and recovering physically and emotionally on the other side of that. So the first part of this episode, we talk about loss. Then we talk about a difficult pregnancy. We talk about migraines, getting COVID twice, being underweight, and kind of being over-medicalized with um, lots of nausea and vomiting, that kind of thing. And then a, a unique twist in Madison's pregnancy where she ended up having to have a cesarean section at 37 weeks. All of that she ties into this beautiful story and how she utilized what happened in her pregnancies through her lost journey and then her cesarean journey to answer the calling to become a doula and to educate birthing persons throughout Denver, Colorado on having an experience quite different than the one she experienced. So today's episode, there's a lot of hard things to listen to. But it's the harsh reality of birthing in the hospital system in the United States today. And that's why I do this podcast. And that's why we're telling these stories so that it's education through storytelling. There's a lot to learn today. And I appreciate you being here. Let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hides. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story. I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. So like, let's say you're pregnant. That's why you're listening to the birth story podcast and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire. 
with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know. Do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions, pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition, and like we get into it. We make birth plans, we do birth visions, we listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And like at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences, how to take care of your baby. I guess what I'm getting at is if you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan? I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence, wash that anxiety away because you learned everything you needed to learn and Birth Story Academy, and you are ready to crush that birth. Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey, Madison, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. Hi, Heidi. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm excited to talk about your business, the Empowered Birth Collective out of Denver, Colorado, and to talk about your birth experiences and how that led to your business. So let's dig right in, Madison. Um, Tell me, I know that this, there's a loss story. So let's talk about the first time that you became pregnant. Were you trying? No, it was an oopsie pregnancy and it happened We, it happened just before shutdown, but I took the test and got a positive like Two weeks into quarantine, we were living with my husband's parents in the basement, and I I had been on birth control for like years, years and years. Um, and but I still, you know, would get my period. Sometimes it was a little irregular, but it had been it was like ten days late at this point, and I was like, um, whatever, I'll take a test. I've I've always been one of those people that like. I'm testing all the time. Like if my period feels like it's not coming, like I'm not getting PMS, I'm like, oh God, I'm pregnant. And so, but every time it's negative. So I was expecting it to be, you know, another negative and I peed on the stick and I set it down on the counter and I went to wash my hands. And I mean, maybe like 15 seconds had passed and there was a line and I was like, what? (laughs) What a roller coaster, right? Like I'm trying to like transport back in time to the shutdown of like COVID and this is early 2020 and we're all like, what's going on in the world? And like kind of being in this low, low. And then I don't know with an unexpected pregnancy, what kind of mental state of that's like brings oh you where it brings you. So how did you go about telling your partner Um, he was actually like sitting out of the outside of the bathroom. Oh, okay. So he knew you were taking one. Okay. (laughs) Yes. We weren't married at this time. Like we had been dating for, uh, 
uh, like a year and a half. So it was still like pretty early. And like, this was the first time that we were like officially moving in together was when we moved in with his parents. Oh my (laughs) goodness. And were you just at this point, like looking for somewhere, you know, cause Denver's like, it's, I mean, I spent my summer in Denver. I mean, it's like really expensive. So, yes. And the housing market's crazy. I mean, we're recording this in September of 2022. I mean, it's wild out there. So were you just like going to move in with the parents to try to find a place or what was kind of, what was your plan? We had ended up my apartment and, um, My husband, Nick, was just kind of living with friends in like his college town still. And so shutdown happened. His brother, who lived in New York, came home and his parents were like, why don't you guys just come and move in with us? And we were like, "Okay." So our plan was kind of to wait, see what happened with the pandemic, because at that point we were like, "Okay, we're probably going to be in shutdown for like three weeks. Right. Like. Yes. <laughs> and so we were going to start looking for an apartment um, nearby. We knew that we wanted to stay in Denver. Um, just both of our families live here. We both grew up in Colorado, so we wanted to stay close by. But um, yeah, so we ended up getting an apartment in like July of that year, but it definitely took a while. And yeah, now, I mean, we live in my husband's grandmother's house now. Um, she passed away a little bit ago. Um, but anyways, we would not be able to afford to buy a house here like ever. (laughs) (laughs) So we're very, very fortunate because yeah, the market here is just insane. It is so crazy. Okay. So here you are, like Nick is sitting outside of the bathroom. You guys have just like kind of changed your housing situation. You're not married yet. And you're like, okay, two lines. All right. Oh my God. It was (laughs) such an emotional roller coaster. And my mom was very, very sick in her pregnancy with me. And so I kind of felt like that was going to be the case. And I am very sensitive to hormones. Like I can't take regular birth control. I have to take like progesterone only. So I was like, Oh God, this is going to be a mess for my body. We're not going to be able to hide it from your parents. So like, let's just rip the bandaid off. And we are all very, very close. I am even at this time, I was very close with his parents. Um, They're just a very like open, loving family. And so it wasn't something that we were, well, I think my husband was a lot more scared, but I wasn't scared to tell them. And we always knew, like we had been talking about having kids since like we first met, like we knew that we wanted to be together. We knew that we eventually wanted kids, but like not optimal timing. (laughs) But it sounds like you guys got really excited. You shared your news with everyone. I, you had mentioned you were on birth control. So I'm assuming you stopped taking your birth control. (laughs) Yeah. Scheduled an appointment. So Madison, how long did your pregnancy last? It's a little bit hard to tell just because I was on birth control. I'm not 100% sure when we got pregnant, when I ovulated, but um, I think that it was about seven and a half weeks. Did you miscarry naturally at home or was did you need to miscarry like assisted at a hospital 
or with midwifery care? Yeah. So um, I had already established care with um, a midwife that an in-hospital midwife that my sister had used. Um, But I called her, I woke up one morning and I was going to the bathroom and I had, by the way, trigger warning, I'm going to discuss like details of the miscarriage. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's a great trigger warning. I went to the bathroom and I had a huge cramp, like huge. And I was like, whoa, that was kind of weird. And um, then, you know, I stood up and I saw blood and it wasn't a lot of blood. It was like, like what I would consider to be spotting. Um, But it was still scary, you know, like I'm getting excited for this pregnancy and it's, it's scary when it's your first time. And, um, so I called my midwife that morning and she was like, spotting's normal, but you know, if it would make you feel better, you can come in. And so I went in, they tried to do a, um, intravaginal ultrasound. Um, and they couldn't see much. Um, and she was like, you know what, maybe the dating's off. Like we probably just have the dates wrong. Let's, you know, run, run your blood test again. Um, because I had gotten the blood test to confirm the pregnancy. Um, and that day the cramping continued and the bleeding, um, stayed the same. So I was like, maybe this is nothing like getting my hopes up. My midwife seemed very, very optimistic. And, um, then she called me really early the next morning. And she basically told me that my HCG was down to zero almost. She said less than five and that's nothing. And, um, that I could stay home and carry out the miscarriage naturally. And I just remember like sitting and like, you know, we're, we're living at my in-laws house. And I just remember like trying not to cry loud and like just burying my face in Nick's chest. And like, I don't know, it was, it was harder because I felt like I couldn't like fully grieve the experience because I lived with other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like complete lack of privacy. Yeah. That's how I feel about birth in a hospital. Like, honestly, too, like the parallel, just like not being able to be your like mammalian self. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like I wanted to make primal noises. And I that day I started having extremely, extremely bad cramping, which now that I've experienced a contraction or two, I would say that that's what it felt like, which is crazy to me that like my uterus was working that hard to, you know, pass this pregnancy. Um, We don't talk about that enough, Madison. Right. I've recorded. No, nobody a, told me how painful it was going to be. N- and when you left your midwife's office that day, she didn't either. Like when you leave your OB office, they don't either. Like when you are having a miscarriage at home, you are going into a mini labor. It's not going to last as long. It may or may not be as intense, right, as a, a full term pregnancy, spontaneous labor, right? 
but your uterus is going to be working very hard to expel the pregnancy and then clamp down so that you don't bleed out and hemorrhage, you know, so that your uterus stays nice and firm. And it's surprising to most people how painful a miscarriage is. And when we're full-term labor, everyone's like, here's your nitrous oxide, here's your IV pain medication, here's your epidural, and no one offers you shit for your miscarriage. I'm like, can I please go home with like an opioid? Yes. Or a yeah, Xanax. She basically told me, you know, I know, right? She basically told me, like, take some Tylenol. She said that it would feel like a um, heavy period. And that is not what it no. felt like at all. No, it could. So, for everyone listening, like, it's a possibility that you have a mild miscarriage, right? More stories than not, it's waves of contractions for a pretty short period of time compared to like a full-term labor, that's 24 hours, you know? Um, But very, most people will report very intense contractions. I have been a doula for many clients through their miscarriage, like where they've called me, I've gone to them and I've held them while they miscarried. And it's primal and it's loud and it's uncomfortable and it's grieving also. Yeah, that was also, you know, I think about in the future, I would love to have an unmedicated birth. And I think back to my miscarriage often and think about the intensity of that and think about how am I going to handle real, quote unquote, real labor contractions if that was so hard. And then I remind myself there wasn't oxytocin flowing through my body when I was miscarrying. No, that was grief Um, flowing through your body when you were miscarrying. And Madison, like we're going to get into your birth story, which is a cesarean section with a breech birth. But I want to, to like encourage you, like, If you go on to have more children, like uh, absolutely, if unmedicated birth is on your heart, anyone can accomplish that if your baby allows you to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. Like every now and then there, the baby makes a different decision for you. Okay. Yeah. Every now and then, right. (laughs) There's like a short cord and it's wrapped like three times and like, you know, things happen. Um, my statistic, 18 years, over a thousand deliveries I've supported. I have a 0% cesarean rate for clients who went into spontaneous labor and had an unmedicated birth. So like, I cannot shout that from the rooftops enough. If you go into spontaneous labor and you continue on unmedicated, which everyone is capable of doing, it's a choice. It's hard, but it's a choice. I did it both ways. You have the optimal chances, like nearly zero percent of ending in a cesarean section when those things align, you know, and the stars align. So I want to encourage you, Madison, that like you can do it. And I know I can. And I, it's so funny because I preach it to my clients all day long and like, I've seen it so many times, yeah. but when it's you, you can't do it yourself. I know it's so different. I mean, on my first, I got an epidural at two centimeters dilated. Right. So like <laughs> I was like preaching it myself and then like circumstances took over, right. Emotions took over, gestational age yeah. took over on um, my second was, uh, you know, unmedicated by choice. And I kind of 
you know, just stuck, stuck to the choice instead of deterring mm-hmm. from the choice. We can all do it. We just need to be prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Right. So a hundred percent. So this baby let's go. And yes. And I actually, um, just one more thing about that. I had uh, the next day, I actually ended up having to go to the emergency room. What happened? Um, I was just bleeding so much and I was getting dizzy and I just like couldn't handle the pain. And like, it was to the point where I was like screaming. So the contraction waves were continuing into the next day. Okay. Yes. And so. Was it growing in intensity from the day before? It was about the same. About the same. Well, yeah, I think that it it was like a slow buildup, but it peaked for like a long time, it felt okay. like. And it was peaking all the way to the hospital. And um, since this was, you know, weeks into COVID, they wouldn't let anybody in with me. Yeah. Talk about the bleeding so that the audience understands. Like when you say a lot of bleeding, like are you filling up a pad in an hour? How much blood? I was filling up a pad in 30 minutes and it was, it started to become very clotty and, um, just bright red blood. Like it was fresh and, um, it was scary. And my midwife also didn't tell me like how much blood is normal. Like I was just so scared. Mm -hmm. Had she talked to you about doing fundal massage? No. So that is something if someone's at home, like finding your uterus and massaging your uterus and doing fundal massage can kind of help it clamp down or nipple stimulation can help Mm -hmm. it clamp down to reduce that bleeding, at least on your way to the hospital, right? Not to replace going to the hospital, but to like reduce that bleeding by uh, by nipple stimulation or, or deep fundal massage. Just while you're trying to get help that can support a reduction in bleeding. Yeah. And so I miscarried the rest of the way in the emergency room. And I was alone most of the time because of COVID. They weren't really like going into people's rooms unnecessarily. And it was so crazy, Heidi. I was laying there in bed. They just gave me a ton of morphine. So I'm like so high. And I see the ER, my room has like clear doors and I see this patient like being wheeled out in a wheelchair and there's just nurses and doctors lined up in the hallway clapping. And I was like, this must be somebody that recovered from COVID, but it was just such a like dichotomy of like me suffering alone in this room. And then there's this person out there that everybody's like happy for and clapping. And it was just a really, really weird moment. That is a really weird moment. Yep. It's like the yin and the yang, right? Like in in order to have love, you have to have grief. Like in order to mm-hmm. have joy, we have to have suffering. Like to be experiencing one and seeing the other thing at the same time, you know, it's horrendous. I'm going to give an example of, and I hope this is a teachable moment for everyone. There are hospital systems across the United States where you're separated by curtains. So maybe it's in the cesarean section, PACU, 
right? So you've just mm-hmm. had a C-section and you get rolled to a bay. That's a post-anesthesia, like, recovery care place. And there's four or five beds separated from a curtain. Or maybe you're in triage and there's, like, four or five beds separated by a curtain. Not all hospitals. These are private. In my area, we've got a main hospital that it's all separated by curtains. One person in that bay, their baby could have not made it. Like, one from a cesarean section. One person in that bay in triage may be, like, Madison, having a miscarriage, right? And it's, I try to be really cognizant of that when I'm with my clients. And I always say like, when we wheel into a space where there are other individuals, like, you know, you're going to hear me get very quiet or have no words because I, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what the story is right next to us. So we're going to just stay here doing our thing and not try to disturb what may or may not be going on next to us. Yeah, definitely. I feel that deeply for you. Um, How long did it take after you left the emergency room to kind of feel better? Physically or mentally? Um, I'm going to go this physically. Like where you feel Um, like the bleeding had stopped and that like you could, you weren't dizzy and that type of thing. Like, your hemoglobin? Probably another day or two. Okay. I just rested so much. I I mean, since we were in the pandemic, I could, right? But I know, I mean, there's so many people around the world that miscarry and have to go to work the next day. Or go back to work the same day. It's barbaric. It's so sad, especially experiencing that and just knowing how much I needed that rest. Yeah. Now you asked me the question back emotionally. And so let's dig into that, right? Like, did you go to therapy? Did you talk? Did you share about your experience? Like, how did you heal emotionally? Talking to other people who had been through it was the best medicine for me. Um, It... I'm, I love education and connection through birth stories and loss stories go hand in hand with that. Like these are things that you don't understand until you experience until you experience them. Yeah. How did you and find so, people? Um, I went into Facebook groups. I literally just like typed in miscarriage support group <laughs> and I found a couple And, you know, I went in and I posted my story and it was just flooded with comments of other people who had been through this and knew the right things to say and knew what things not to say. Like, I didn't want to hear anybody say, at least you can get pregnant. You know, I I can't tell you how many people said that to me. And it's like, that's not helpful. Not helpful. Like your baby didn't stay. That's really sad. And it deserves grief. Yeah. So I was listening to another podcast and I heard, um, it was an interview with somebody who did, um, psychic womb readings. So like connecting with your baby inside you or connecting with a baby spirit that left you. 
I did a reading with her. I can send you her information if you want to include it in the show notes. I absolutely do. Okay. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's like a long distance reading. You talk to her for a little bit. And she basically told me that this baby, it just wasn't the right time. And this baby was going to come and, you know, it was going to be the same soul trying to get to me, basically. And after I did that, that was probably like six to eight weeks after my miscarriage. It was right before I got pregnant with my son now. And it, I think that was a real moment for me of healing where I could be. It was just like this calmness. It was like, I trusted what she was saying. Like it just felt, it just resonated with me so deeply that I, it just carried me through the next few weeks and made me feel so much better about my path. Yeah. I have told this story on the podcast before and I'll share it with you, Madison. Um, My mom had 12 pregnancies, um, six miscarriages, and the majority of those were between my young, my younger, I'm like, which would be my older, (laughs) like the first one. So my older sister and me and my spirit, like my personality is I'm kind of like, I'm just like a little fighter. And, you know, I just, I feel like I've always got a cause that I'm super passionate and, you know, outspoken about everything. And my mom will tell you, she was like, you were trying so hard to get here. Like, your little soul just kept trying and trying and trying, you know? And so um, my mom's spiritual and religious beliefs align with those of the psychic womb reader that you met with that, um, you know, my mom also believes that it was my same soul each time, just trying, trying, trying. And, and here I am, you know? That's amazing. There's a really good book called um, Spirit Babies, How to Mm -hmm. Connect with the Child You're Meant to Have. Um, And it kind of goes with that idea and how to connect with the soul that's trying to get to you. And it's, yeah, it's so beautiful. I love it. Well, I'll be very happy to link in the show notes to your psychic womb reader. So cool. Awesome. It sounds like you had a pretty good, um, you know, recipe for healing physically and emotionally. But now here are you and Nick and you weren't trying to have a baby, but then you were really excited about this baby and then you lost this baby. And so did that just change your dirt, like, were you and Nick like, okay, well now let's, we, now we want to have a baby. I mean, how did that look for you guys as a couple? Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's something that I hear from like people in this, I call it the lost community. Um, people who it's, it's a way of healing, right? Like you have this almost hole in your heart that you feel the need to, to fill. And yeah, for us, it was like, okay. I mean, we like had our panic moment and then we got excited. And like you said, then that was kind of taken away from us. And we were like, okay, let's just do this. And so I kind of jumped all in and like started tracking my ovulation, like peeing on sticks twice a day. Nick was like, what is this? 
<laughs> I'm like, okay, does this line like look as dark as this line? Like, what do you think? And he's like, I have no idea what you're doing. Um, I love it. I actually bought the, I just bought the new um, Apple Series 8 watch and it actually tempts the new one. It tempts what? and it will alert you when it thinks you're ovulating. And I was like, what? This is that crazy. That is really high tech. Very high tech. I'm like pretty, like, listen, my, my tubes are tied. They got tied in December. Like my fertility journey has ended, but I was like, I'm so stoked for this type of technology for fertility clients or those like TTC just trying to conceive. Mm -hmm. So how cool. So without this technology, right? Like you're peeing on sticks. Like, were you temping? I was going to the next cycle. Um, we were lucky enough to get pregnant on that very first cycle after. Um, and yeah, I was going to go like deeper in, but I was worried to go to do the temp thing. Like I felt like I was going to get too obsessed with it. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. So we're hyper, hyper fertile immediately following a loss. So that next cycle, you ovulated, you guys did what you needed to do. <laughs> and then you had a, a, a spontaneous pregnancy again. Yeah. And I found out very early, I was only 10 days post ovulation DPO. And mm -hmm. I was like, I'm just going to take a test. Like it'll probably be too early, but I don't know. And it was like one of these little cheap strips that comes with the ovulation kit that you get like on Amazon. Yeah. And so I, I dip it in the pee and it like literally the lightest line, like I like in the trying to conceive community, people will post like pictures of their pregnancy tests and like put them in like a negative um, color balance to yeah. like make the lines pop more. And they'll be like, do you see a line? Like it was one of those, like I would have to change the color balance on my camera to see it, but I swore I see it. And so Nick was at work mm -hmm. and he, he had gone back to work at this point. This was in July of 2020. This was the day after Nick's birthday. And so I run to the grocery store and I buy like 20, other brands of pregnancy <laughs> tests and on you know one of the more expensive tests I get like a way clearer line and I was like oh my god and so I called my mom I called my mom and told her before I even told Nick <laughs> and um she was like oh my gosh send me a picture like she was so excited for me and Nick comes home and I like like a week before that, I was like, I'm going to announce it to him in such a cute way. I'm going to surprise him and like make this like box that he can open. And then when I saw that line, I was like, no, I need to tell him as soon as he walks into the door. Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. So what was his reaction? Cause I mean, he knows that you guys are trying. So he knew that we were trying, but he was extremely shocked for some reason. And I'm like, this is what happens when you have unprotected sex, when you ovulate, sir, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so he's like, okay, like we're really doing this. And I'm like, yep, <laughs> we've known about this. <laughs> but I think that he just really had like 
another oh shit moment of like, we're about to be responsible for a human. Mm -hmm. And that didn't come to me until like, probably 35, 36 weeks of pregnancy. Um, In this time, I was just like, so excited to be a mom. Yeah. How did your pregnancy go? It was really rough. It was really, really rough. Um, Like rough in a good way? Like rough in a like you were constantly being told you were pregnant rough? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I always think like the worse you feel, like the more pregnant you are. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, exactly. And honestly, that was kind of nice in my first trimester to experience the sickness because it it reminded me that my hormones were increasing and I – would be able to, or my pregnancy was, was continuing essentially, you know, as long as I was sick, I knew that things were fine. And before you can feel the baby move, it's really hard to connect with the pregnancy. And like, especially after a loss, not have anxiety about like losing that pregnancy. Did the anxiety ever go away about losing him? I don't think so. I also just like have anxiety in my in my life. Um, I got diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder when I was in college. And so I think that definitely had something to do with it, too. But I don't think it ever really goes away. And I don't think for future pregnancies, it will either. It's just always something. I mean, it was a super traumatic experience. And I think it's just something that my body will always remember. Yeah. I have a question about your generalized anxiety disorder. I also, I've had that diagnosis since I was 16 years old. And in my pregnancy, it manifested with both fear about me and the baby. Was your anxiety just around, just around losing a baby or were you afraid for, did you have anxiety about your own health and well-being? So I did have anxiety about my own health, but I what I was pretty sick throughout my pregnancy and I had all kinds of extra testing done and it it made me feel like there was something wrong, even though there wasn't. They just I I didn't end up going with a midwife. Um I was was not happy with how that midwife handled my miscarriage and I was nervous about losing the pregnancy. And I was like, I'm just going to go to an OB. And um, a friend recommended this office to me. And so, but my whole pregnancy was high intervention, like not just my birth. It was the whole, it was every test that they could give me. Tell me about that. Why was your pregnancy high intervention? They just really treated me like I was sick and I was sick, but like pregnancy sick, you know, like I'm throwing up in the first trimester. I did lose, um, a lot, not a lot of weight, but like six or seven pounds, which makes a difference when you're only a hundred pounds when you get pregnant. Um, so they were worried about my weight. And then right after my first trimester, I started getting migraines. The reason why I can't take regular birth control is because I get migraines from the estrogen. So, um, I think just all the hormones in my body were triggering that, um, cause I never had high blood pressure, like no signs of preeclampsia ever 
Um, it was just like random migraines, not triggered by anything specific. I would just be sitting there totally having a normal day. And all of a sudden I would start, start seeing spots. Like I wouldn't be able to see right in front of me. I would only have my peripheral vision. Ooh, that's so scary. Okay, tell me more. I've never had a migraine and we have never covered migraines on the Birth Story podcast before. So your okay, first yeah. symptom was spots and kind of tunneling. Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate because like by the time that that happens, you're just like in it. <laughs> like there's okay. no going back. Like Tylenol doesn't touch it. You can't take ibuprofen when you're pregnant. Um, and so... I was coming in and having like blood pressure monitoring, like they were monitoring my blood sugar, like everything that they could monitor, they were monitoring. When you were having these episodes? Yes. And just like at my regular appointments, like I would, they would, um, we would do like my appointment with an OB and then they'd send me to like this nurse station where they like monitor for me for a little bit, but not the baby, like my blood pressure, they'd take my blood sugar. Like it was just a lot. And I was having, like, you go in, you have like a 10 minute conversation with your OB and then you sit at this nurse's station and be monitored. Like I felt like my pregnancy was a medical condition. And so they were worried about you because you were underweight, essentially. Yes. Okay. Yes. Under for their um, for their standards. Yeah. And I'm short too. I'm like barely five two. So like my BMI was low, but it wasn't like dangerously low for my size. Yeah. Were you able to eat and keep food down though? Um, after my second trimester, yes. Okay. Um, I still was throwing up, but I would throw up once in the morning and then just go on with my day. And I like started timing it. So I wouldn't do my mascara until like after I threw up. <laughs> <laughs> like you knew it was coming. Um, yes. were you ever diagnosed with anything like hyperemesis? No, they said that since I was just throwing up once in the morning that it like wouldn't qualify. Um, and then once I was probably like 16, 17 weeks when I started gaining weight back. Um, so even though I was throwing up once in the morning, they weren't too worried about it after that point. Okay. Were you worried about you or were you like, I'm fine. What's all this mess about? I felt so isolated. And, um, it did not help with my mental health that I was so sick because I, yes, I would only throw up once in the morning, but I was having nausea all day. And like, it was like, I wanted to throw up more, like it would probably make me feel better, but I just couldn't. And I was back at work during this time and, um, you know, sitting at a desk. So there was, and it was COVID. So there was no like mom groups that I could join or like, you know, prenatal yoga, like there was none of that happening. So I was the first one of my friends to have a baby. I didn't have like the support. And on top of that, I don't feel like myself because I'm sick all day. It was really hard on my mental health for sure. So I was worried about myself in that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not a medical provider, but like, it really seems like you were starting to fit the the criteria for hyperemesis. Like some yeah, people with it never throw up because they're able to mentally control it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I am definitely one of those people. Like my whole family got a stomach bug last week and I'm like laying on the couch. My son got it first, then it hit my husband. And I was like, it's coming for me. I know it's coming for me. And I'm sitting on the couch, like just breathe through it, mind over matter. And then, yeah, I'm like one of those people that will try to talk themselves out of of it. Yeah. Um, So outside of like the weight and the nausea and the vomiting, how in the migraines? Yeah. I mean, was there anything else medically or emotionally that made that pregnancy um, difficult for you? Yeah. So um, at 24 weeks, I tested positive for COVID. Um, and I'm this like, was stop it now you're getting yeah. your butt kicked. Oh my oh God. Oh my God. Yeah. It was, it was hard. And this was four days before me and Nick were supposed to get married. And we were planning like an Airbnb COVID wedding with like just our family and like close friends. And then, yeah. And I just remember sitting on the couch and crying so hard with Nick and, It was, you know, this was back when we didn't know what COVID did to pregnant people. And so they had me, I can't remember what the med is called, but I had to take blood thinner injections. I had to give them to myself every night because they were scared of like blood clots and just all, I don't even know. I just remember being like seriously Googling. (laughs) It's very interesting that you say this to me, okay? Because I'm noticing that through my podcast interviews and in my own practice, they have been experimenting, doing clinical trials essentially on pregnant persons throughout the United States, maybe even the world without permission, right? Like Mm. you were were involved in a clinical trial then for heparin or Lovenox for the prevention. It was Lovenox. Yes, for Lovenox, for the prevention of blood clots, specifically probably in your lungs with COVID, but they're like guessing. Like so that now they're doing this with set numbers of people, but not officially enrolling them in a clinical trial. Right now they're doing it in my area in Charlotte, North Carolina with baby aspirin and 40-week inductions. They're saying if you've had COVID anytime in your pregnancy, everyone needs to take baby aspirin and we don't need you to be pregnant past 40 weeks. And we're like, what? Everyone's had COVID. A hundred percent of people have had COVID in their pregnancy. So anyway, I just wanted to say that. Ask for data, people. And ask, is there data or are you collecting data on me? It's fine. It's your body. You can choose what to do. But I'm just like, man, taking Lovenox just because you had COVID is not like standard of care right now. Let's just say that. Okay. Yeah. And I, at this time, totally saw doctors as an authority figure. I didn't even know that you could ask questions. And so. And you didn't have a doula. Did you not have a doula? Okay. No, I going to hire a doula through the hospitals. They have like a doula program. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had an interview with her set up for like two days after I had my son. Oh, okay. So um, for those of you listening, we do recommend that if you're considering a doula, that you pretty much start reaching out to doulas as soon as you find out you're pregnant. So like we're recording this in September of 2022. I am interviewing and booking May 
of 2023. So that's the timeline, y'all. Pee in a stick, find out you're pregnant, hire a doula, then go to your confirmation appointment. A hundred percent. I just had an inquiry come through that she was like, I haven't confirmed the pregnancy. I haven't chose my provider, but you were recommended to me by a friend and I want to book you. And I was like, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. One hundred percent. Well, I am so sorry that you got COVID in the middle of your pregnancy on top of everything else. I'm I'm almost like, welcome to the club, you know? Yeah. Um, but emotionally, what's like what's stabbing my heart right now is like, I know you your child's here and all my clients that had COVID while they're pregnant, babies are all fine. I don't want to like gloss over that, but like likely if you get COVID when you're pregnant everything's going to be okay, you guys. Mm -hmm. But what happened was you were supposed to get married. I need you to tell me about that. (laughs) So what happened to the wedding? We rescheduled it. We ended up getting married on January 2nd, 2021. Um, But I had planned this beautiful Christmas winter mountain wedding. And we went to Home Depot and we bought every single fake pre-lit Christmas tree that they had (laughs) and we were going to like line them up. And so we ended up making our group even smaller and we did it just with our immediate family and our two best friends. And um, we did it in Nick's parents' backyard on January 2nd. And it was beautiful and amazing. And I honestly wouldn't change it. Um, But it was totally something that I had to grieve. And I was at this point so done with everything. I was done with the pandemic. I was done with being pregnant. I was done with being sick. Like I just wanted this to be over with. And I think that my provider got the hint. And I think that that had a lot of influence on how she handled my birth. Okay. So this is January. How many weeks pregnant are you at the wedding? I don't remember my, (laughs) my due date was March 30th, March 30th. Okay. So you were significantly pregnant (laughs) at at this point. Um, yes. (laughs) Okay. So due date of March 30th. Now, spoiler alert, we already talked about the fact that Madison had a cesarean section due to a breech birth. So we know where we're going from that point on. Like I usually ask the question, how did you know you were in labor? (laughs) But I'm going to ask like, how did you know your baby was breached and you were going to have to have a C-section? Like what happened? So because of COVID and I also had a marginal cord insertion, they were doing ultrasounds at every visit. Can you define that for the audience? Yeah. So it's when the umbilical cord, instead of being attached in the center of the placenta, it's attached on the side. And that can sometimes cause problems with blood flow and circulation. Often, we don't find out about marginal cord insertion until after delivery. And maybe we have a baby who's small for gestational age or intrauterine growth restriction and nobody knows why. And then the placenta plops out and we see the marginal cord insertion and we're like, bingo, there's the culprit. But typically, it does result in a mostly full-term healthy pregnancy. So was that right. your case? Um, it would have been. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, he was, when he was born, he was like right on track and I have a video of him being born and you can hear my doctor going, Oh, he's not even that small. Oh, how nice. How lovely. 
Well, I hope they weren't doing your C-section. I mean, I know we said breach, but I hope it wasn't like, we're going to do a C-section today because he's small. Uh, no, no, no. Okay. So um, at 36 weeks, I found out that he flipped breach and I know exactly when it happened. It was like three days before that I was laying in bed and I felt this huge movement, like nothing I've ever felt before. And I'm... I'm very certain that that's when it happened. And so I'm at my 36 week appointment and my doctor came in and she said, you can do two things. We can do a ECV, which stands for external cephalic version, which is where they basically try to turn your baby from the outside. Um, And she told me that I had a 50, 50 shot. My mom has a cousin that had an ECV. I don't know how long ago this was, but her baby died because the cord was wrapped around the neck and it turned into an emergency situation and they couldn't get them out fast enough. So I didn't want to do that. (laughs) Um, That freaked me out. And so I was like, okay, I guess let's schedule a C-section if that's what I have to do. And so we scheduled that for 39 weeks. And I think that she felt like she was saving me almost like she knew I had been so sick. And like, that's kind of the vibe that I got from her that she felt like she was doing me a favor by getting my baby out at 39 weeks. Like superhero complex. Great. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I make it to 37 weeks um, and I was so excited to be like, you know, my baby's lungs are fully developed. They'll be okay if they come at any time. Um, And so we celebrated with tacos out of somebody's garage, um, which was not, not a great choice. Like someone, you know, or like someone down the street that was just like selling tacos today. Yeah, it was like somebody, it was like a friend of a friend. And we heard that these were like the best tacos. He sells them out of his garage. So we went for it. Okay. Food safety, OSHA guidelines, food handling, like all sorts of things are coming to mind. (laughs) Right. I know. I know. And so that night I go to bed, everything's fine. And I wake up at about 11 p.m. and I have a contraction. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, like this is happening. I'm 37 weeks, like he's just ready to come, I guess. Um, First time moms are always like, I'm gonna go early. And you know, as birth professionals were like, mm-hmm, okay. And I was totally one of those moms too. And so it's just funny that I'm like, yes, a contraction like popped out of bed. <laughs> Not thinking maybe it was the tacos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I go, I'm like, Oh, God, here it comes. And I go into the bathroom. And I'm sitting on the toilet and also throwing up into a trash can. Mm. If you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And at some point is your mind like tacos food poisoning. Yes. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Right when I started throwing the throwing up, I knew could happen in labor. But when I started having diarrhea, I was like, Oh, this is tacos 100%. And I've had food poisoning before. So I knew what it felt like. And so I'm probably on the toilet for like 45 minutes before I go wake up my husband. How and Nick's just sleeping. He doesn't have food poisoning. 
he told me that he um, ended up having diarrhea when we went to the hospital, but he was like hiding it from me because he didn't want me to like be trying to take care of him because that's very much my personality. Oh my God. How sweet. Okay. So this ends with you going to the hospital with food poisoning. So yes, I can't like, I'm just throwing up so much that I'm very obviously getting dehydrated. I'm starting to contract, um, every like 15 minutes and they're not strong by any means, but I can tell that they're happening. And so I called the nurse line and they were like, you know, you're probably contracting because you're dehydrated. You should come in and get IV fluids and then we'll just send you home. And I was like, great. So they tell us we go in and, um, the hospital is like, 20 minutes from us. And I threw up twice in the car. Oh no, I'm so sorry. It was rough. And so, um, that's like the theme of my pregnancy and birth, just like (laughs) it was rough. (laughs) Um, and so uh, they give me Zofran to stop the vomiting. They give me, um, IV fluids. Um, but I was so dehydrated that they couldn't get a vein and it took five tries and two different nurses. And I'm just like crying and vomiting and like everybody's poking me. And then they do a COVID test and it comes back positive. Stop it now. Stop it now. Oh my God. So twice. Twice. I can't. I mean, this has happened to one of my clients. One of my dual clients has gotten COVID twice in their pregnancy. I mean, Madison, you're getting your rear end kicked. I just can't. I just cannot even. So like, what are they doing? Are they like, okay, now go home? Are they like... So they said, so my cesarean was scheduled for 13 days after that. Okay. And so they said that if we left the hospital and I went into labor before before like this 14 day quarantine that we had to do, that I would have to come in by myself. And I would not be able to have anyone with me. Okay. Well, but you're already there with Nick. Exactly. So my doctor was on call that day. And again, this is kind of where the savior complex comes in. I think Um, I was sleeping. It was, so this whole thing, we had been there all night. And then my doctor comes in at 9.30 a.m. And I was sleeping and I remember waking up and, you know, all the meds they were giving me made me extremely groggy and I had been up all night. Um, But I opened my eyes and my doctor sitting in front of me in like full PPE, you know, like the mask, the glasses. So scary. All of it. So scary. And um, she basically said, you've been very sick. You've been having migraines. To be honest, the baby doesn't look great on the monitor, and I think we should just take him out today. Okay. That was like an exact quote from her. Okay. So everything that I heard as a birth worker is like, wah, 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 wah. Baby doesn't look good on the monitor. Like, we could have just mm-hmm. skipped all of the other things. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like... Right. Sure. Baby probably doesn't look good on the monitor because you have COVID and you have food poisoning, right? And you're dehydrated, right? So like as a birth professional who's been doing this for 18 years, do I see the value of sometimes babies are healthier on the outside than on the inside when we have multiple things going on, right? Mm -hmm. And by doesn't look good on the monitor, the OB is talking about heart rhythm and heartbeat. So we see babies have tachycardia, which is high heart rate, bradycardia, 
PVCs, PACs, where they're skipping beats, right? There are different patterns in the heart rate that we can see that would let us know that the baby is experiencing also some sort of distress. Madison, I'm going to tell you something that is going to blow your mind. I've had seven clients that had COVID at full term. Six of them went into spontaneous labor at 36 and 37 weeks when they were. So if any of my clients, which there's been seven that have had COVID at full term, they went into labor within four days. Only one of them did not. If someone had COVID prior to 36 weeks gestation, they continued on with their pregnancy. So I don't know if that gives you any kind of peace of mind or anything for the cesarean section being suggested, but my experience tells me had you gone home, you would have gone into spontaneous labor within three days. Yeah. And um, I mean, I was, they did a cervical check and I was one centimeter dilated. And I know that you can walk around that one centimeter for weeks and weeks and weeks, but I mean, who knows? Yeah. Um, And you were contracting significantly too. So, so it wasn't an emergency by any means. She told me this at 930 and he was born at 1230 PM. She basically said like, I have Um, a surgery. And then after that, I can do yours. And so they walked me into the OR. Like I just walked in, which is, I don't know. It's just so odd to me. Like it was such an overwhelming experience to be walked in there. Mm -hmm. And I had a panic, a panic attack um, when I walked in there. And I just like, it was just, I had never had surgery before ever. And like the bright lights and all the the tools and it was just extremely scary for me. And so they gave me Ativan in my IV to calm me down. I'm like, hell yeah. But how did that make you feel? (laughs) Looking back, it's, it's hard because it contributed to me not being able to remember the full birth. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry Um, about that. I remember doing skin to skin And I remember, this is really funny. They took him over to like check him out after he was born and they were doing his newborn um, procedures, which like I have a whole thought about doing that like seconds after you're born. But you know, you don't know what you don't know. But I literally like was in a daze at this point, but they were asking us if we wanted to do, you know, the hep B, the eye ointment, all the things. And I yelled across the room no happy <laughs> but like I don't even like I didn't even know anything about it back then it was just like an instinctual thing and I yelled that and Heidi they made me sign the the declining form while I was on the OR table it's so crazy does that sound like informed consent y'all legally no, I barely remember signing the documents. In, informed <gasps> like, refusal. Like you're on Ativan. You're probably still open. Like it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like I I've, I literally videotape every single time my client gets an epidural and their like eyes are closed and they're like, Wah! and they're like, sign here. And I like like videotape the process because I'm like, If something ever goes wrong, I have clear video evidence here that 
Her eyes are closed. She's being drugged with natural opioids. She's in the middle of, you know, probably active labor transition. Like that's not informed consent or informed refusal. Like, yeah, certainly laying in the middle of an operating room is not an appropriate time to sign a declination form for hepatitis. Definitely not. And so I remember having him skin to skin, but my timeline is so fuzzy. And I was, when I was writing these notes, I was talking to my husband about it and I just had this huge release of emotion because I didn't realize that we were separated. Sorry. I might cry right now. Actually. Um, I didn't realize that me and my son had been separated. Um, I had been under the impression this whole time that we were together and that I had a long time with skin to skin. And apparently I only got, my husband said like 12 to 15 minutes and then we're separated. And like knowing what I know now about the importance of that golden hour and what a cesarean surgery looks like from the outside, because I've been in the operating room as a doula. I, there's no reason why I couldn't have had that golden hour. Why were you separated? They, after the newborn procedure, they put him in his little bin. My son's name is Finley and we called those little plastic bins at the hospital, his Binley. (laughs) So they put him in his Binley and they told my husband to take him to the recovery room. You guys, Madison and I are birth workers and we know this. You can have skin to skin in the operating room. Your baby can remain skin to skin or a minimum cheek to cheek, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're shaky and you don't feel good in the operating room, your your doula or your birth partner, whoever that is, can hold the baby cheek to cheek against the mom, right? I mean, I was wondering if it was because of COVID and they didn't know what they didn't know, like if they were trying to separate him from you for that reason, which is also silly as we know now, you know? Um, yeah. So I woke up or I was awake the whole time, but I kind of like came to like, you know, when you come out of like a blackout, like that's what it felt like. And I was breastfeeding. Yeah. <laughs> it is like blackout, right? Like it's a trauma. First of all, it's a trauma response. Second of all, it's a drug induced response, mm-hmm. right? On my birth plans, we have choices that say, I would like all the extra drugs for like anxiety and stuff. And then we, and then there's another choice on there that says like, please do not give me any of these extra drugs because you can make that decision, right? Like, mm-hmm. but I will say Madison, If I was your doula, right, there is something to be said for panic attacks are so, they're so hard on your organs. They're hard Mm -hmm. on your brain. They're hard on your heart. They're hard on the kidney. They're hard on, and to be having that severe panic attack, what we do as birth workers, that's so important, is preparing birthing persons in advance for what a cesarean section is like, what an OR is like, what their choices are like. Maybe they still have a massive panic attack as they walk in, but maybe we can reduce their chances of having a panic attack by preparing someone properly. Your doctor had three hours to prepare you for what it was going to be like to have a cesarean section. She didn't do that. 
you know, mm-hmm. and that makes me upset. And I know you said you would, we're going to have a meeting with the doula and then I had a baby before you had a chance to do that. But it's really important. Madison, before we close your story and we, you know, move on with our day and this story is making a big impression and and how I'm going to continue to practice as a birth worker for my clients. But like you and Finn and Nick went on this journey and it ended in the operating room. But you took all of that and you turned around and built a company so that it wouldn't happen in that manner to someone else. So can you tell me a little bit about Empowered Birth Collective and really how Finley's experience made you who you are today? Yeah. And that's kind of something that's come up in my healing from the birth trauma a lot is like, I a hundred percent would not be where I am today if that experience didn't go the way that it did. And I'm such a believer in birth happening exactly how it's supposed to. It is such a divine spiritual experience and every birth teaches us lessons about ourselves and our lives and just it changes you at a deep core level. And so I am not kidding you, Heidi, like days after we got home, I'm Googling doula trainings. <laughs> and cause I knew, cause I knew that my experience would have been different if I had had somebody by my side to emotionally support me. That's what I needed the most is emotional support. And that's a lot of what I offer to my clients too. And so I built the Empower Birth Collective um, out of my trauma. It's kind of like my lotus flower growing from the mud. Mm-hmm. And um, I am very much all about education. Um, not only do I co- incorporate it into my doula practice, but I also teach childbirth education at a local birth center. And I really emphasize the importance of informed consent. Like before we go into the birth experience, I want to make sure that people know, like, these are the interventions that are available that could come up. And these are the risks and benefits. We need to have this conversation beforehand. These are conversations that providers should be having beforehand, but they're not. And just like you said, how are you going to give informed consent for an epidural when you are deeply, deeply in labor land and you can't even open your eyes to sign a paper and nobody's talked to you about the risks and benefits before. Like these are things that providers should be talking about in their prenatal visits. And so, um, or an opportunity to meet with an anesthesiologist when you're pregnant. Why are we meeting anesthesia for the first time when our contractions are two to three minutes apart and we cannot give informed consent? Mm-hmm. No previous so education. I know 100% that my experience would not have been so traumatic if I had somebody walk me through exactly how you said. If my provider would have just taken the 10 minutes, not even to explain what I was going to experience when I walked in there and explain to me why the cesarean was necessary. Like, yeah, baby doesn't look good on the monitor, but why? And Heidi, I have tried to get my op notes for eight months now and I'm going in circles and I can't get a hold of them. And it's, it's 
I feel like that would be like the final piece of my healing is like reading those operation notes and it feels so sneaky and the whole thing just feels like disappointing. And I don't want people to feel like that. It's birth changes you, whether it's your first or your 10th or whatever, like you become a whole different person after you give birth and trauma, especially birth trauma sticks around for your whole life and it changes you to your core. And if I can make that trauma less of a chance to occur in my clients, like that is, that's all I care about. The, the provider's job is making sure that there's a healthy mom, healthy baby. My job as a doula is to make sure that people come out untraumatized. Yeah. I was going to say physically healthy. Exactly. Because there's so much more to health than just physical health. But yes. And those aren't any of their their electronic medical records, billing, insurance, quality protocols on your emotional well-being. Madison, it is. It's infuriating. And I am so proud of the work that you're doing. If there's anyone listening from Denver and you are seeking birth doula services, I hope that you will reach out to Madison. Madison is at Empowered Birth Collective on Instagram. And is that your website as well? Yes. Empoweredbirthcollective.com. And I really hope that you will, if you are listening and you know someone who's trying to conceive or is pregnant and is looking for that support in Denver, Madison is an excellent, excellent resource for you guys to reach out to. And you can even take her childbirth education class in person at the birth center. So Madison, it's been incredible. Thank you for walking us through loss through a hard pregnancy, through getting COVID twice. I mean, I just can't even believe this. Migraines. We haven't covered that on the podcast before. That was wonderful. And then um, a cesarean section and all of the things that you learned that you can now apply to help. You know, I always say we get to a level and then we reach back and we bring the others that are behind us. We bring them up with us so it doesn't happen again. You mentioned birth trauma sticks around. It sticks around generationally, right? There are three mm-hmm. generations. We were in our grandmothers. Our grandchildren are in us, right? In that womb space, in that ovary. Like this is important for generational trauma also to make sure that we heal our wombs, that we have positive birth experiences, and that we continue to empower women which is why I love the name of your company, Empowered Birth Collective. Thanks for being here today, Madison. Thank you so much for having me, Heidi. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan, and prepare for the birth you want no matter what that looks like.